great to be here with you this morning and uh, it was a, it was a, um, a beautiful service that we enjoyed and a beautiful song that we just participated in I, I, I want you to know a couple things about this everlasting God the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews it says that he is holy and that he is harmless and that he's undefiled and that he is separated from sinners and he's exalted above the highest heavens and in his grace this everlasting God, this creator of the whole universe in his grace, he humbles himself and he takes the form of a body like our brother shared from the book of Hebrews and he comes here. I mean, he comes here. It just is amazing to me of the grace that we have that is found in the person of Christ that he comes on this rescue mission that he comes on this rescue mission for us. Praise God this morning for the Savior who did not leave us orphans, who did not create us somehow that, that he might mock us, but he has created us that he might elevate us in spite of our circumstances. And the Bible teaches us that he, it, it teaches us that if we belong to God, that we are heirs of God and join heirs of Christ. And, and friends, the, the, the war is over. The war is over. I mean, there's skirmishes and there's battles. You know, I, I know that the last battle of, of the Civil War, ironically, the South won the last battle of the Civil War. Word had not announced to Texas that Lee had surrendered the Grand at Appomattox Courthouse. The war was over. And in our in our lives, I want you to know that the war is over. It, it was over at the cross. It was at the cross that the Lord Jesus Christ defeated sin. He cut the head off of the enemy, and he used the enemy's own sword. Just like David ran right at that Philistine, and he cut the Philistine's head off with Goliath's own sword. So it was, in the book of Hebrews it says, that through his death, Jesus Christ destroyed him who has power over death. That is the devil, and release, release us, whom through fear of death are all our lifetime subject to its bondage. Praise God this morning. We spend so much money trying to figure out where we came from and where we're going and what it all means. But the Bible answers those questions. The Bible identifies that we have a God who is creator, and that's wonderful. We're going to talk about that. But more importantly, he's a God who's a redeemer. And he's, he's a God who is for us, for us every day. So praise God this morning that we have the Savior. I want you to turn with me, please, back in your Bibles to the book of James. And I'd like to talk a little bit more about this real faith. It, it's kind of convicting, I got to be honest with you, because there's 50 million Americans that say that they are Christians. Why is that? Is it because they can put a bumper sticker on the back of their car or they raise their hand during a service or they come and they stand up in front in some emotional meeting? I don't know. But I do know this, that, that James is writing and he says, I want your works to demonstrate that you have saving faith. I want the real thing. That's what Coca-Cola said in a commercial, like back in the 70s, the real thing. They didn't even advertise the soft drink. 
I want the real faith. I've had imitation coffee. I've had imitation ice cream. I want the real faith. James identifies what this real faith is. He says, this is the way that you're going to know that you have it, that your works are going to de demonstrate saving faith. And if he says it, if you don't have this, this, these kinds of works, he says, your faith, it's not a sick faith. He says, it's a dead faith. There is no faith there. So I want to take a look here. And uh, I want you to notice that James urges his readers, he urges us this morning, to consider the nature and the character of God. James is so eager to tell me that God wants to take all of the knowledge that I have, he wants that to be practical and translate into my life. Growing up, I, I, I went, I heard a lot of Bible stories and Sunday school stories and camp stories and, and, and dad shared so many of those things, but it didn't really translate. I knew a lot of it. It was a lot of head knowledge. James says, I want this to start translating into the areas of your life, into your marriage, into the way that you use money, into the, and, and, and how you're going to spend your time, and the selections of the things that you're going to watch, and the conversations that you're going to have. And here in this verse 17, actually verse 16, he says, don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Look, look, don't be deceived. Okay, I don't, he also says that about being deceived in verse 26. James chapter one, verse 16 says, do not be deceived. And in verse 26, he says, but don't be deceived. Don't deceive your own heart. Don't spin it in such a way that you justify it. Don't be deceived. Okay, James, what am I, what am I not supposed to be deceived about? He says, I want you to know the character and the attributes of God. The God that we serve is a good God. Look at verse 17. Every good gift, every good gift, and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. I love this verse. Jesus said, if though you are evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who love him? Every, everything that I possess that is good has come from God. And God is good this morning. I want to demonstrate in two big ways, in a comprehensive way and in a, in a very specific personal way. First, in the comprehensive way. I want you to think about the gifts we all enjoy. I want you to think about how perfect a flower is. I want you to think about the fact that you and I can see color and that we have taste buds. I want you to think about the sunset and the ocean waves and every Thanksgiving meal and every good night's rest and every friend's embrace. It all comes from God universally, comprehensively. The water that we have the amazing gift of water that we have, that it satisfies our needs, the amazing gift of music that we enjoy. I mean, it's amazing how it all comes together. How many lives have been blessed by music that we enjoy? The beauty of nature, God gives it generously. He gives it spontaneously. He gives it lavishly. He loves to give. It's who he is. We're just getting a little bit of feedback here, but that's okay. I'll just keep going. 
And friends, honestly, we step back, we say, well, who do we think we are, you know? We sort of think that somehow or another, I've landed here and all of this is the works of my own hands. My accomplishments, my credentials, my way. God says, all of the things you have are a gift. It's all a gift. The breath that you take, the, the air that you inhale, the life that you live, it's all a gift. Now, we live in a sin-cursed earth, so I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, minimize that. I know that. I know that there's thorns and thistles and sweat and it's hard and there's frustration every single day. We live under the curse without a doubt. But I want you to just acknowledge and know that God gives gifts graciously, spontaneously, in abundance, above and beyond what we ask for, what we think about. And so I meet with his dad who uh, comes in for a parent-teacher conference. He says, you know, before we start the conference, I want you to know that I had breakfast in Austria and I had lunch in Germany and I had dinner in France. I say, well, let's see, I had uh, yogurt for breakfast. I had a bagel for lunch. I, I don't know what's for dinner. Why, do, why is that so important that you have to tell me about all of the things? Should I congratulate you? Would you like to be the line leader? Would you like a sticker? We're here to talk about your daughter, who at the moment isn't doing very well. We love to clap for ourselves. I love to. So we do that. Just suppose with all of the wildness that is happening in the schools or at your jobs with all of this virtual going on. Just suppose tomorrow that the sun decides it's going to take the day off. Suppose the sun doesn't work tomorrow. Say, so look, I've worked all these years. Tomorrow the sun is not going to work. <laughs> right? Just imagine that. We don't even think like that. Somehow we all expect that. We'll all do that. That's all the grace of God, friends. It's all the grace of God, comprehensively. God's goodness is comprehensive. Every good and every perfect gift, that's complete gift, comes from above. My gifts to you are not complete. My gifts are not perfect. They're flawed, clearly. My wife's birthday is in October, and so the, the way the cycle works is, October 7th is her birthday. October 6th, I am rushing around, scurrying around, trying to find a gift. The jewelry doesn't quite work. The clothing, that's not going to work. Time is running out. You know what? Let me just get something. It doesn't really matter what it is. She's going to return it anyway. Right? That's not the way God's heart is. No, 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 no. God's gifts are sufficient. They're suitable. They're appropriate. They're consistent. They're perfect. They're perfect. The Bible says in verse 17 that he is the father of lights. That identifies him as creator. He is the father of lights. He made the stars. That was like his handiwork. He made the universe. He made you. He made me. He runs it all. He made it all. He owns it all. He's overflowing in his goodness. In the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul says, for by him all things are created, things in heaven and things on earth, principalities and powers and thrones and divisions and, 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 and dominions. And the fool can say in his heart, there is no God. That's true. But the Bible identifies the one who says there is no God as the God says, I want you to know about me. So he's the father of lights. 
light, right? The father of lights. I want you to notice this last phrase, with whom there is no variation. There is no shadow of turning. There is no change. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. And that encourages me because I live in a changing world. 20 years ago, nobody used the internet. Or maybe it was some dial-up internet that didn't really work very well. Nobody used cell phones. Now those things run our lives. 20 years ago, there was no cable television. You were limited to just certain amounts of stations. That was it. 20 years ago, people bought CDs. 20 years ago, the, the way that we traveled in airports were different. The way we educated kids was different. 20 years ago, I don't know if there was a, such a thing called global, global warming. 20 years ago, the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed at 10,000. The Ford Escort was the car of the year. Everything around us changes, but God doesn't change. His grace doesn't change. And the beautiful thing about it is he is for us. He's for us. He says, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. He also says, he, he also says in, in his word that he is for us. There's never a day, regardless of my folly or my nonsense, that I'm going to wake up and the Lord is going to say, John, I'm not for you today. You're on your own. I carried you this far. Now, you know, it's your turn. That's never going to happen. His grace is going to see us all the way through. All the way through. He's called the father of lights. I want you to notice that word father. Look, the best of earth's fathers, they, they, they mess it up. They, they just do. I've messed it up as a father, right? I remember um, the best of, of earth's dads. I had a good dad. I really did. But I remember there were times that it wasn't so easy to approach him, especially like when he was walking on, working on some sermons or some talks. So, you know, mom was the easy target. So I'd go to mom, can I borrow the car keys? Her answer was, you better ask your dad. Well, I, okay. And maybe you'd like, you know, crack the door and, and he'd be in there and, 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 and he would look up and he would say, okay, make this fast. I said, I'm good. You know, it's, I'll walk. I'll take, I'll, I'll take, I'll take, <laughs> I'll take my bicycle. No, no worries. You just continue on. You can read those signs. The Bible says we can approach God as our father. The apostle Paul says that we can approach him as Abba father. What does the word Abba mean? It means daddy. It means Papa. You can come to God in a relationship that is not filled with smoke like Moses on Mount Sinai when the whole mountain was alive with flames or fear or sacrifices or fire in the old Testament. One day a year, the high priest could meet God one day a year. And, and, and the dude was like, he didn't sleep at all the night before. And he went in with this blood sacrifice offering and he went into this holiest place of all and he, he, he would dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times on this holy box. You better pay attention to exactly the way that God would have it. But that's not true for us. We can come to him. There is never a time that my heavenly father is unaware there's times that I'm unaware as an earthly dad. As a dad, I'm unaware of my kids' situations. God is never unaware of my circumstances. God is never unable to meet our needs. Friends, we heard that in the earlier meeting. He said, I'm willing. If you're willing, you can make me clean. He said, I'm willing. Of course I'm willing. That's who he is. 
he is never uncertain as far as what to do. There's never a time he's got to say, look, let's try it this, let's, you know, all right, well, that didn't quite work out. Let's try it this way. He is never unavailable. You know, my, if my kids call me, the, 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 it goes right to voicemail. God is, is always available. His goodness is comprehensive. But the Bible teaches us in this next verse that his goodness is specific. His crowning gift, his crowning gift is this new birth. It's this new life. It's this new hope that's found in Christ. That's his crowning gift to us. His goodness is specific. Take a look at, at what it says here in verse 18. Of his own will, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. That's what he says. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of his creation. It's found in his son. His son has changed everything. Sometimes at camp we would sing the song, in the stars his handiwork I see, and on the wind he speaks with majesty, and though he ruleth over what is it to me? I will celebrate nativity. It has a place in history. He came to set his people free. I'm Irish. What is that to me? Oh, until by faith, I met him face to face. And I saw the wonder of his grace. And I knew that he was more than just some God who lives somewhere. And now he walks beside me day by day. I, I, I pray for this last line ever watching over me, lest I stray, helping me to find the narrow ways, everything to me. I pray that to be true for me. I pray it to be true for you as well. It's his amazing initiative. It's his amazing grace that he chose me. He chose you if you know and love Jesus. Not because of your intelligence. That's not the reason. And not because of your physical strength not because of your wealth, not because of your accomplishments, not because of the degrees that hang on your wall, but because of his grace. That's what this verse says, that we can be part of the family of God and the Bible identifies that we can be what's called the first fruits. The first fruits deal with the harvest. So just follow this for a moment. In the book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15, the apostle Paul speaks about first fruits also. And he talks about the resurrection. And, and the Corinthians said, you know, oh, don't tell me about the resurrection, a bodily resurrection, and that's just nonsense. How is the body gonna look? It's, you know, these bodies have been dead for hundreds and hundreds of years, and they're gonna... Paul says, that's not the same body. He said, if you take this bowl, this seed. If I came to your house for lunch and I brought you flowers, that would be receptive. You'd be receptive to that. If I brought you these bulbs, you know, you would look at me, you know, this guy brought bulbs. I mean, they're ugly. They peel like an onion, right? What do you do with this? You're not going to put them on your table. What do you do with it? You bury it. And what comes up is a beautiful little shoot and a beautiful plant. The Apostle Paul says, that's what the resurrection is like. And then he says this, he says, Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. He's not the only one who's gonna be resurrected. He's the first one. The resurrection has already happened. 
there has been a man who's been raised from the dead and he's the champion and he's the leader and he's the Lord. The first fruits means that, that you're a new creation. You're a new creation in Christ. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse six says, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Is he a God of creation? Yes, he is, but he's a God of redemption. So if somebody says, oh, I'm going to meet God. I'm going to the mountains to meet God. Well, maybe you can see the glory of God in the mountains. But the mountains are never going to tell you about the Savior. The mountains are never going to express to you about sin. The mountains are never going to tell you the, the need that you must re resolve with in Christ. So I want you to know that, that James identifies these first fruits. And then he says this. He says, so what does first fruits look like? You're part of the first fruits if you belong to Christ. What do the first fruits look like? He says the first fruits are this. You're, you're quick to hear. And you're slow to speak. And you're slow to anger. Now, honestly, there's times in my life I'm just the opposite of those things. You know, if I'm angry at you, it, it, it distorts and destroys all of the worship. I almost can't do it. If, if I am at odds with somebody in my family or at odds with somebody in my church family, then coming here is very hard to sing these songs about the everlasting God because I've got this anger, this pent-up anger in my heart. Mm. God says you're going to put away that anger. Mm. And through the Spirit of God, you're going to put away that anger. He says, I want you to be quick to hear the Word of God. I want you to be quick to hear it. I want you to be receptive to it. I want you to be open to it. I don't want you to, to, to think about the word of God as if it's, it's like, um, you know, um, uh, wrestling with it, arguing with it. I want you to receive it. That's what a first fruits new creation in Christ does. I want the word of God to get a hold of you, James says. It's not so much of, of me just toying with it. Quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. Let the word of God get a hold of you to listen to what it says, not to argue with it, not to compromise it, but to receive it humbly. Do you know something? And James is going to go on and say, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Be doers of the word. It's like this man looking into the mirror, you know. Why don't I enjoy picking up the word of God in my life? Well, because honestly, it tells me who I am. And that's a pretty ugly person. One time my son, Will, and it wasn't really his fault, but as a baby, he threw his head back and it landed right right on my eye and my eye swelled and my eye closed and I just stayed in the house for a few weeks. And I, I wore these glasses. I didn't look in the mirror. I don't want to see my eye. It's ugly. I certainly don't want you to see it. That's sort of what the Bible does. It reveals the need. It reveals my heart. And the, the, it just does. But it also reveals the Savior. It also reveals the grace. And it also reveals the hope that I have, which is found in Christ. 
So James is going to go on. He says, I, I want you to be a doer of the word. I don't want you to just be a hearer of it. He says that, I want you to notice, he says that in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Right? Lay aside all filthiness and wickedness and, and receive with meekness, humility, the implanted word which is able to save you. But in reality, friends, there's times I sort of can play with sin, sort of like Samson did. I can compromise God's word. Oh, yeah, I heard it. I, I, I hear it. I hear it loud and clear. I, I could even recite it to you. James says, you've got to be a doer of the word of God. You've got to get this knowledge that you've been taught. You, this has got to translate into your life, into your conversations, into your attitude, into your love. I have trouble loving my brothers. That's hard for me. James says, I want you to be a doer of the word. And I don't want you to deceive yourself. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's sort of like an option package. I, you go to buy a car, you know, you know how many options there are? Cars with leather seats, cars with vinyl seats, cars with this music, cars with that music, cars with these kinds of wheels, cars with different rooms, all these options. You go to a restaurant, all these options. Can I substitute this for this? All these options. Sometimes that's sort of the way that we approach God's word. Listen, I'll take Jesus Christ as a savior, but the Lord of my life, well, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure I want to buy into that option right now. Mm. I can't do that. If he's the savior and you see where he has brought you from and you see where he went for you, then you're going to love him. It doesn't mean that we're perfect yet, clearly. I'm prepared for heaven, my body not yet. But it does mean that he's going to be the Lord of my life, not grudgingly. I'm not going to take this as if it's medication. No, Lord, this is how I, I eat. This is spiritual food that I need. This is, the, this, this is where I'm going to get decisions that are going to help guide me. This is the, the light unto my path. It's right here. James says, I want you to be a doer of the word. I don't want you to deceive yourself. I don't want you to deceive yourself. Maybe this, this could be our last thought on this. He says, um, in 1 John, the, the, the Apostle John identifies God's word, and he writes to three different groups. He writes to little children, and he writes to, he writes to young men, and he writes to fathers. Um, Little children, young men and women, fine. Fathers, mothers, fine. Spiritual people is what he's talking about. Okay, so spiritually, he says, little children, I write unto you because you know who the father is. That's all they know. All right, kids run out of school when we go back to school. Kids run out of school, they run right to their parents. That's who my dad is. Right, he's not this, he's not, I know my dad is right over here. That's what a little child spiritually is like. Little children, I write to you because you know the Father and your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. What else do little children know? Not really much else. It's okay, they're little children. But friends, God doesn't want me or you to stay as a little child. 
as I grow in my faith. Young men, what differentiates the young men? He says, young men, the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. You've had victory over sin in your life, sustained victory. And then fathers, he says, you know him who is from the beginning, right? These are beautiful truths. I love this practical book. There's a lot that I need to learn and grow and translate into this knowledge into practice. So I submit to you that I'm not there. This verse 21, lay aside all filthiness. Okay, if I'm really going to take this verse seriously, what is the filthiness in my life? What are the things that would cause me to say, Lord, you can have rain in my life, but, but Lord, not in this area. I don't, I, I'm not ready to surrender this just yet. What are the areas of filthiness in my life that need to go? It's a, it, he's writing to Christians. If you're honest with yourself, what, what would that be for you? Lay aside all, all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Yeah, these are good verses. And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So praise the Lord as you're continuing on the study of James. And I and, and, uh, appreciate the opportunity of being with you these, these last two weeks. And I, and I pray this week that we could be doers of the word, that we have the opportunity to show that we are the first fruits of his beautiful creation. Let's close with a word of prayer. And Father, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is the everlasting God. We thank you that he is the Prince of Peace. And we thank you that his love is, endures forever. And we pray that we would learn to love him and serve him and be more like him. And we pray, Lord, that that would start even today. For we would ask it in his name. Amen. Amen.